Hi, Monica. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely, Monica. So, Monica, for our viewers who may not be uh, as familiar with you, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background? Of course. Yes. Thank you. Well, I started my career in marketing for large companies like Ford Motor Company, Procter & Gamble, and Nestle. And then I started consulting through my own company, Propeller, working with local San Diego brands and D2C startups that have skyrocketed like Manscaped. Uh, my current role is Senior Director of Consumer Insights, Strategy, and Social Impact at Manscaped. For those that don't know, Manscaped is a leading men's grooming brand that disrupted the below-the-waist grooming category and has since grown, grown beyond the groin <laughs> into other spaces in grooming, such as beard grooming, which was our last mega launch that we did. But what I love about this role is that it's not just insights. I get to take the insights and utilize them to really create strategies for growth for the brand. I'm a marketer really through and through. And so what I love about insights is it gives you a compass to make decisions on strategy for growth um, for the brand. And for D2C brands like Manscaped, it's incredibly helpful because we can quickly get direction for product innovation, international expansion, creating engaging brand content, and building retail relationships. So I know a lot of D2Cs today are chasing revenue growth and aren't focusing on building brands. And I think that's a detriment because I do think that you can do both and ensure the long-term success of your business and your brand. And the other thing I get really excited about is I also get to lead our partnership with the Testicular Cancer Society which is our chosen brand cause and longtime partner. Testicular cancer is the number one cancer in men ages 15 to 35. So you can see this cause kind of perfectly fit with our brand because we appeal to younger men. We were already talking about kind of growing grooming and this is a cancer that hits younger men and hits them in those areas. And what's been rewarding about this partnership is we're able to use our humor to address a previously taboo topic and really bring awareness in a way that they wouldn't be able to do themselves. Um, so they might scroll past a cancer association post about cancer, but if Manscaped does a humorous post around it, they might just stop and look at it and it might just save their lives. You know, that's that's wonderful. And that's truly inspiring to hear, uh, you know, that Manscaped is leading some of these or participating in these initiatives. So that's that's great. Thank you for sharing that, Monica. Uh, from your perspective, Monica, when your CEO or your leadership comes to you and says, great job, um, what are they typically expecting from you? Yeah, I think our CEO, Paul Tran, is fabulous. He's really the reason I came to Manscaped. He gave me so much autonomy to do my job and just allowed me to be a part of building the brand strategy, which I loved. But when he says, you know, good job, it's usually because I brought him a lot of really interesting data that he wants to take his time to really analyze and noodle over to make big strategic decisions for growth for the company, whether that's product development or international expansion or brand strategy and direction. The other thing I think I tried to do with him is I tried to prod him to take more vacations. <laughs> and I think he appreciates that. We have kids around the same age, and so I'm always bugging him to spend more time with his family kind of away from work and, you know, recharge and re reboot. I think it's so necessary and important in today's world to balance our career and our family life. So I think he appreciates that for me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful, Monica. So, Monica, let's dive in a little deeper into our worlds when it comes to 
customer journeys and customer insights and better understanding the customer. What challenges do you typically help your teams overcome when it comes to better understanding the customer? Yeah, I think the most important thing about really having your teams understand the customer is them being able to put themselves in the customer's shoes and really kind of have empathy for what the customer is going through. So um, what I love to do is when we do qualitative research, I love to take little snippets of the videos and string them together and really have them see like what this means for the consumer. So for example, when we were doing beard um, you know, we really realized like the emotions behind a man's beard, like that is kind of part of their identity and who they are. And it's really important to them to have like a well-groomed beard and why that's important to them, right? Like it gives them more confidence throughout the day. It allows them to do the things that they need to do. So really having them kind of understand the emotion behind the why consumers are using our products and the what it means to them is really important to me. And I think that, you know, you can only get that from either the quotes or the videos or having them, you know, really see what this means to the consumers so that they can actually empathize with them. That's a great example, Monica. And thank you for sharing, you know, for our viewers who may not be as familiar with customer journey work, that is also something we advocate a lot in terms of ca capturing these emotions in real time. You know, in the, in the customer journey vernacular, we often refer to what are moments of truth. Yes. And these moments of truth, as you know, Monica, are so, they're so important because there's often, especially in, you know, business to consumer journeys, uh, you know, for business to consumer uh, organizations as well, these moments of truth often have a very strong emotional component. And that, like you said, can only be captured through qualitative or what we refer to as in the moment research, whether it's yeah. qualitative or more behavioral type of research. And often, as you know, organizations or businesses that ignore these emotional moments, these moments that have a strong emotional connect with their target consumer, this often leads to loss of market share, customer attrition, I mean, in your world, I can only imagine ignoring the importance that a beard has for, for a man. And this is coming from a man who used to have a beard. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, it is so critical because, you know, these moments of truth are transformative. If you pay attention to them, if you address them like you have in your with your target market, then they become what we call as peak points. Peak mm -hmm. points help the customer, helps building loyalty. It helps the customer move from one journey stage to another in their shopping journey, holding your hand. But if you ignore them, then they become pain points. Mm -hmm. And with pain points being there, the customer is still going to move forward in their buying journey. They'll just move forward holding someone else's hand. Yeah. So, true. so Monica, in your perspective or, you know, in your world, as you've mentioned, you know, understanding these qualitative, these emotional moments are so important. Can you talk about when you focus on your customers' journeys or their buying journeys, how do you go about it? 
Um, so while we haven't done like a really large customer journey research project, we did do a deep dive into our consumers last year that entailed a really large consumer segmentation where we went really deep into who our consumers were and who our targets were. And what I loved about this project is we really started and ended with that qualitative, like you mentioned, that is so important to really dive deep into what are those kind of moments of truth. And, you know, in the beginning call, we really saw the full spectrum of who's out there and who's grooming and what do they look like? What are these men doing and why are they doing it? What are their motivations behind it? And then in the ending qual, we had already chosen our two target segments and we went really deep into those two target segments to really understand who they were, what motivated them, what were those moments of truth that led them to purchasing decisions and the decisions that they made about their grooming products. And it was really, really insightful. Um, we got so much out of that. And to me, you know, there's nothing like that kind of deep qual that you can do. And we actually even did ethnography. So we went into their homes. So they toured us around their bathrooms and, you know, kind of showed us all the products that they were using. And to me, that's kind of the ultimate form of research is when you can see the consumer, you know, in their environment and understand a little bit more about their lives and who they are and what's motivating them to do the things that they do. You know, thank you. Thank you for sharing that example, Monica. That's wonderful. You know, that's something we advocate a lot in our work with our clients as well, because like you said, you know, surveys are good and we do a lot of them as well, but surveys are reflective. They're reflective of the actions the shopper, the consumer has already taken. When we do the type of work that you're talking about, this ethnographic work, or this qualitative work, then it gives you an insight, like you said, into their world. What we also advocate to clients is to mirror and capture what you did in their homes. Do the same when customers are shopping, when they're shopping in stores or online. Now, traditionally, this has been done in the form of shop-alongs or qualitatives over there. But there are other ways to do it as well in doing it in a non-intrusive way which is in the form of, you know, leveraging mobile formats. So with a lot of our clients, what we do is we will maybe do a shop along, a couple of shop alongs to get a sense of what shoppers are doing. And then we'll send them on missions inside stores and they have to respond to questions or capture the same types of videos that you probably did in your ethnographic research at home but they have to do it inside the stores. Mm. So these are actual shoppers that are shopping around and they're recording videos of themselves shopping or they're answering questions in the moment. And you know, the advantage of doing it in a mobile format in this way is you can make it qualitative or you can also make it quantitative. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, for example, with some clients, where we want to get that robustness of, you know, the deeper insights, we'll do the shop alongs, but then we also want to get that projectability on a national scale. So then we, will you know, leverage the mobile format where we have a couple of thousand shoppers going into different retailers and capturing their shopping journeys as they're happening in real time Think of this almost like as the qualitative that you did, but just yeah. being done on a national scale and, and really not costing an arm and a leg. 
<laughs> oh, so that so you know those those are sort of the advantages of again building on your initial initial comment on capturing these key emotions, these key moments in real time. Yeah, I love shop alongs. It gives you so much insight into you know what consumers are looking at in terms of what they're seeing on the shelf and how quickly they make decisions on things and why. But that's interesting that you've added kind of this mobile capacity to make it a little broader, a little bigger. That's really interesting. Yeah. And you know what happens, uh, Monica, is as you as you know, with qualitative, you get a lot of good, deep insights, but sometimes they lack in the projectability measure. They're directional insights, but often what we guide clients is that's good insight, but don't don't take multi-million, multi-billion dollar decisions based on what 20, 30 people said. Add to it with a quantitative measure. Just test the hypothesis out. You know, what may be true for a certain segment or a certain retailer may not be true for another segment. And so just looking at it, blending in the quant with the qual sort of just adds to the picture, makes it more secure. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You need the qual and the quant. Um, I often try to tell my teams that the qual is really to give you the why behind the quant, mm -hmm. um, behind the what, you know, um, so trying to get into, we use the qual really to try to dive deep into like the emotions and the whys and that those types of things, but try to use the hard numbers with like the bigger, uh, the bigger population to make the big decisions. So yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, your comments are so invaluable, Monica, because for a lot of viewers that rely solely on quant or surveys for everything, um, I really want them to pay attention to what you're talking about in terms of what one can get from the richness of doing qual, especially the in-moment ethnographic type qual that you've done. So that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. This particular project or how you've gone about, Monica, in really helping your organization go deeper in understanding your target customer's psyche and, and how they shop, how they use your products at home. What was the impact of this type of work on your organization? I think for us, it just really kind of helped us focus in on who those targets were that we were going after. We had a pretty good idea of who they were and what media they were in and those types of things. But it really gave us kind of a full picture of who they were and why they were shopping with us and why they were using the products that they were using. Um, so really kind of came in focus for us. And I think it really helped our creative and product development teams the most to create really, you know, messaging that connects with them and products that are going to be tailored to them. Um, I do think the entire organization really took it to heart. We did a really um you know deep dive into what we had done with the consumer segmentations with each of our teams and try to get them really engaged in the segmentation work and the output so i think we did a really good job and i think everybody really enjoyed it and i think everybody really took it to heart but i think the two teams that walked away with the most from it was definitely our creative and our product development teams and i think they use it more on you know a day-to-day -day basis on the projects they're working on and for our viewers, um, something that I want to add is that is also what we recommend 
in designing any of this research, in really designing for impact the way you did. A lot of times our clients come to us and you may have the similar experiences that, you know, the minute people think of research, they want to focus more on, well, this is what I want, but how are you going to get this? And, and the focus shifts from the what and the why to the how. And what we recommend is keep the what and the why paramount at the top all the time. And then also translate into how will we define success at the end of the project? What business impact are we going to be looking for when this research is done? How is this going to move the needle? You know, we even take it a step further, Monica, and we talk about the financial impact of the research, because ultimately it is an investment and there needs to be a justifiable ROI. So we talk about, you know, what's the financial impact? So for example, a client recently recently came to us and said, you know, we, we just don't know enough about our customers. We've done some work, but we want to go in deeper and just find more information about them, their personas, their journeys, how they use our products and so on. So I said, okay, that's great. What is going to be the business impact of this? And there was a pause and they were like, well, it would be nice if, we can get more shelf space with Walmart and Kroger and, you know, their, their retail brands. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, do you have a target in mind? And they said, well, no, not really. I said, well, let's put a target. What would you, what would your sales team, marketing team be happy with? And they said, let me, let me chat with them and come back to you. And they said, okay, we talked about it. If we can have 10% more, we'll be happy. I said, perfect. So what does 10% mean in dollars? And they gave me a number and I said, let's make that the target of this project. But, you know, the reason I'm sharing that with you, Monica, and the viewers is when you start thinking about research and the outcomes and the targets up front, then what happens is that becomes the guiding light, the North Star for the research. I don't know, Monica, if you've ever had this experience. A lot of my viewers, a lot of our clients have had this where they do good work. They spend a lot of time and money in executing on the research. And then it just becomes a pretty deck that sits on someone's desk and no action gets taken. And as researchers, we'd often pray to that. And the best way to circumvent that is design for impact, show stakeholders what the impact, what the business impact is going to be, what the financial impact is going to be upfront. And then what happens is it's almost like stakeholders then can't wait for the research to finish. You know, they they buy in early because they know what they're going to get, you know, in terms of the business impact, the financial impact. The research gets designed for that. You don't have a situation where every question that people had gets inserted into that qualitative or quantitative because then you have strong boundaries. Does this get us closer to the impact we want? Yes or no. If it does, then it gets included. If it does not, it gets left out. And so doing it that way really helps in not just making the research more actionable, but also in ensuring that research is then seen not just as a cost center, but as an, as an engine of growth.
you know, for the. I love that. Yeah. I've always talked about, you know, insights should feel growth and in the insights to action should feel growth. And yeah. I love the idea of putting kind of the business objective into every project. I might have to do that in my briefs and make sure that we have that <laughs> because it's so true. I think, you know, if you start with that end in mind, and of course we know that insights can drive growth, but when you make it specific like that, I think it helps the team rally around the research and the results and the actions, right? We always try to present in our research insights to actions. So not just recommendations, but what are the insights and what are the actions that we can take based on those insights? But I love adding the um, the layer of what the business impact will be. I think that's super smart and it just will make the research so much more powerful. It then becomes the gift, Monica, that keeps on giving because then when... It, it becomes a snowball effect, you know, for every research brief. So so that's wonderful, Monica. You know, you've almost answered my next question, which was going to be, what would you do different, you know, on your next uh, project? But is there anything else that you would do different in in your future projects? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I'm looking forward to doing with our team is we've gone very much um, omni-channel and international. So Manscaped is now in 39 countries via D2C and in Amazon, we're in over 100 countries worldwide. We've also expanded our retail presence. We're in Target, Best Buy, Macy's, Walgreens, Men's Warehouse, the military exchanges. So as we grow kind of in terms of both um channels and also countries and geographies um, we need to keep a really um, good handle on who are our consumers in all these places right we've really we've gone deep into the u.s consumer um, and you know where, what they think and where they shop but we're, we're gonna have to do it kind of at an international level and at an omni-channel level and really understand what those purchase, purchase journeys look like and what the motivations are for them across these different channels and across these different geographies. So a lot of work to be done in the future, but um, it's all exciting. I love this kind of work and it's always, um, it's always so fulfilling, I think, you know, to just understand and be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and really understand kind of where they're coming from and what their challenges are and what their motivations are. So I really enjoy it. That's wonderful, Monica. I think you're on the cusp of something big, bigger and greater, you know, when it comes to this international expansion piece, especially in this product category. So we wish you all the best. And, uh, you know, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I think our viewers will pick up a lot of gold from uh, your comments. So thank you again. Thank you for having me. And I'm sure they'll get a lot of gold from yours as well. So thank you very much. Thank you.